Good morning and welcome to Dell's International Business Strategy Conference Call. I would like to inform all participants that this call is being recorded at the request of Dell Incorporated. This broadcast is copyrighted property of Dell. Any rebroadcast of this information in whole or parts without formal written permission of Dell Incorporated is prohibited. As a reminder, Dell is also simulcasting this presentation with slides at www.dell.com forward slash investor. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session. If you have a question, simply press star, and the number one on your telephone keypad at any time during the presentation. I'd like to turn the call over to Ms. Lynn A. Tyson, Vice President of Dell Investor Relations and Global Corporate Communications. Ms. Tyson, you may begin. Thank you, Dennis. So good morning, and thank you for participating on this installment of our conference call series this year with key business leaders at Dell. I'm Lynn Tyson, Vice President of Investor Relations and Global Corporate Communications. Today's call features Paul Bell, Senior Vice President, President uh, Europe, Middle East, and Africa, Steve Felice, Senior Vice President and President of Asia, Pacific, and Japan. We'll begin with a brief overview of our international business strategy before opening the call for Q&A. Uh, as the operator said, presentation slides associated with this call are now available at Dell.com. As a reminder, this webcast and the accompanying slides are copyrighted by Dell and may not be used or reproduced without permission from the company. I'd also like to remind you that comments made on this conference call are forward-looking and are based on our current expectations. Actual results may differ materially from those expectations due to a number of factors which are discussed in our annual and quarterly SEC filings and in the cautionary statement contained on our website. I'd now like to turn the call over to Paul. Thanks, Lynn. Steve and I are going to be talking primarily today about uh, our performance and opportunities in Asia, Europe, Middle East, and Africa, but we thought it makes some sense to start with the context on how Dell is doing around the entire world. As the number one PC supplier uh, globally, Dell already has a very good track record of global growth, and international segments remain central to our future. Since 1995, we gained share in almost every customer segment product category in each of our top 15 countries. So it's pretty clear that the model is actually being embraced well throughout the world. What many people don't realize is just how much of the global IT market is outside of the U.S. or even some of the most uh, mature Western European uh, markets and how much of that growth in our industry is going to come outside of these regions. So we want to give you a few of the facts and figures about that. 70% of the global IT spending today is outside the U.S. And the opportunity for us globally is a $1.3 trillion global IT market and an addressable market of about $770 billion, that is, with the products and services we currently provide. And we just have 7% share of that addressable market. So the opportunity, the playing field, is really uh, quite enormous. Focusing on our core PC and x86 server business, we're the number one vendor worldwide with 19% share. Outside the U.S., we're number two, and we have only 13% share. However, we've been getting some ground there. Over the last couple of years, our annualized rate of growth is 22%. At the bottom of this slide, you can see the results in a few strategic countries, which are pretty impressive, but there's still plenty of opportunity for growth in each of them. Focusing on the BRICS countries, uh, Dell is among the top four vendors in Brazil, and in China in all form factors. We only have 7% share in India and only 2% share in Russia, though, so we still have plenty of room to grow in, uh, in uh, those two. Today we'll be talking primarily about our operations in the Eastern Hem Hemisphere, but I can assure you that Latin America is also very exciting as an opportunity for us, as exemplified by our recent announcement of a new manufacturing facility for Brazil. The most recent quarter, Brazil grew units 77% and were number one in servers in that market. In Mexico, we grew 74% year-on-year, and in Canada, we're already number one in all form factors with 24% share. Let's take a look at a few growth trends in the broader market. We are quite confident in our ability to continue to grow revenues. We have a lot of short-term and long-term initiatives in place to better balance growth and profitability and are beginning to see improvements from customer experience, product, sales, and marketing initiatives. And Steve and I are pleased to report that the customer experience progress in Asia and Europe has continued to be strong, uh, improving steadily over the last couple of years. We'll also continue to leverage our direct relationships to focus on specific customer segments 
but overseas will be flexible to identify alternatives to best extend our value proposition to all geographies and customer segments. I'll t talk a little bit about some of these nuances on the next chart. Let me elaborate a little bit about the, the chart you're looking at. The x-axis represents projected annualized industry growth rates through 2010, while the y-axis represents Dell's current share in each of these segments. So you, what you can see is we have uh, quite a bit of share already in the more mature markets, and not as much share and therefore quite a bit of opportunity in um, uh, some of the less developed markets that will be growing faster. For example, if we had similar share in EMEA and APJ uh, today that we have in the Americas, it would add about $26 billion in annual revenue. And that doesn't include services, storage, and our software and, and uh, peripherals business. This we continue to extend our emerging categories which are growing at multiples of the core business. For example, in the most recent quarter, our storage revenue grew 36%, enhanced services grew 21%, and our software and peripheral portfolio grew 10%. Meanwhile, we have plenty of additional opportunity to improve margins over time as our business makes shifts to these more profitable categories and as our non-U.S. region scales. So let me discuss now our methodical approach to entering new countries. Our approach overseas has been consistent with the Dell model everywhere. We enter relatively slowly, building infrastructure and processes, then build to a fully evolved Dell model. And we are in uh, virtually every country in the globe today, some for virtually the entire history of the company, but others very, very recently. Uh, in Russia, for instance, we've really only put a significant investment in that country over the last 18 months or so, and um, many others pretty much every other country is somewhere on that continuum. Now, let me uh, uh, just describe a few differences in our model uh, between the mature countries and as we are penetrating some of the uh, more developing countries. Developing countries, Dell is recognized as a large global premium brand with all the related strengths and benefits, which provides us a strong name recognition versus the low local manufacturers. But we still have an opportunity to build out name recognition on a local level, i.e., uh, I understand Delta is a global company, but how do I do business with you locally? So we're extending our reach and our presence to uh, uh, get to customers via sales and marketing. For segments and products, we focus first and foremost on the largest profit pools in the country. We lead with quality enterprise products in both corporate and public segments. And as we build out our customer relationships, we begin to broaden our offerings into more products and services. As regions and countries grow, we want to move the manufacturing and supply chain closer to the growing customer base. This is best illustrated by our recent announcements to build new manufacturing facilities in Poland, India, and Brazil. So that the number of factories we have and the proximity to customers keeps growing and expanding our reach across the, uh, the globe. Regarding marketing and sales, initial entry into a country has sometimes been through an indirect channel partner uh, so that we at least had a presence uh, where we didn't have a lot of Dell people uh, to support our global customers who, who may have a presence in those countries. But as that business develops, develops over time, we mix and match elements of the direct uh, model as we build out our infrastructure relationships, eventually evolving into a purely uh, uh, direct structure over time. And finally, as infrastructure evolves, so do our service and support capabilities. We focus on delivering an elevated and differentiated level of quality service and have our track record in other countries to back it up. Well, let me talk uh, specifically about EMEA. In my six years working in EMEA, I've seen some pretty considerable change there. Uh, we're about a $5 billion business. Uh, now we're over a $13 billion business. So that's a lot of growth, but we've also experienced a lot of diversification and of our product portfolio and a lot of challenges as we entered uh, and uh, developed in a lot of different uh, countries. Uh, Dell has been operation, in operation in, in parts of Europe for almost 20 years. Uh, and other markets uh, mentioned you know, Russia really just about 18 months now of any real presence there, Italy about four years, uh, excuse me, about seven years, and Greece about four years. So you get a sense that uh, we continue to kind of march along and uh, add presence in different countries as we go. Today we have 17,000 employees in 31 countries, uh, and our regional headquarters is located in uh, Bracknell, England. Our factory up to now has been in Limerick, Ireland. We opened it in 1991, and that's been serving the entire region. But we recently announced that we'll have a second manufacturing facility in uh, Woods, Poland, which will uh, allow us to get product more quickly uh, to customers in the central and eastern part of our, our territory. We have one enterprise command center, also located in Limerick. 
we've opened four customer contact centers in the last few years in Glasgow, Scotland, Halle, Germany, Bratislava, Slovakia, and Casablanca, Morocco. EMEA has seen some pretty significant growth over the past several years. We're currently number two with 14% share, up from 8% share just five years ago. And our focus up to now has been primarily on Western Europe. We have 18% share there and 43% uh, share in the large corporate accounts, which as I mentioned before was our original focus area. In the key countries of UK, Holland, France, and Germany, where we've put in these significant efforts, we've doubled or tripled our share in the last five years. As I discussed earlier, the greatest opportunity for growth is actually outside of um, these uh, mature Western European markets. So we've been increasing our efforts in Central and Eastern Europe, the Middle East, Africa, and across those territories we have only 7% share. In this area, IDC is projecting an annualized unit growth through 2010 of 16% versus just 7% in Western Europe. So that's where our focus is shifting. I'll give you a few examples. Our, our growth premium to the industry in Q2 was 33% in South Africa, 26% in Central and Eastern Europe, and 19% in Middle East. We're number two in the Middle East with 9% share, up from just 4% in, in 2000. And we actually have higher share in the Gulf states, i.e. Saudi Arabia and, and the uh, Emirates, uh, than we do in Western Europe. So there are some markets where we have a very developed presence. And as noted earlier, we're putting a big investment uh, via the factory in Poland to start to address the Central and Eastern European market more effectively. For our discussion today, I believe you'll agree that we have a strong infrastructure base, and I remain optimistic that the opportunities are there. It's just up to us to execute upon our plans going forward. So now I'd like to turn the call over to Steve. Thanks, Paul. I'm going to talk about the APJ. And I've spent nearly eight years now at Dell and all in customer-facing positions in this last year and a half in, in APJ. Uh, it's been a real privilege to be in this very exciting part of the world. And I've had the chance to meet with uh, literally hundreds of customers in China, Japan, Korea, India, Australia, and the ASEAN countries. And, you know, from these meetings with customers, I've learned that uh, they want the same thing most customers want around the world. They want great products. They want great service. And, and they really want a lot of the same kind of attention in a way that lets them be very efficient in their, in their own supply chains. In fact, I would say that the direct model has more application to customers in, in Asia than perhaps anywhere else. The demands on growth, particularly in China and India, are so incredible that the CIOs are under amazing pressure to implement infrastructure. And if you could streamline your processes and make your supply chain more efficient and give direct input to the manufacturer, uh, I think uh, most people would agree that that's a quicker way to get to their, to their goals. We've really experienced tremendous success since launching the direct model in Asia 13 years ago. In fact, APJ is now the size of a Fortune 300 company. It's as large as Dell was nine years ago and it's approaching $8 billion in run rate. We've grown at nearly 50% annually over the last 13 years and now represent 14% of Dell's worldwide revenues, which is double what it was seven years ago. And for those of you that wonder how, how much online activity there is, we've had 27 million site visitors just last quarter to Dell.com and APJ, which includes 9 million alone in China. Within the last month, we've begun pure online sales for business customers in India. And I think the thing I'm most proud of for Dell is that we're actually profitable across the entire region, which is not something all of our competitors can say. You can see from this chart that to support our growth, we've established a pretty substantial infrastructure. We have 12,000 Dell employees in 42 offices, and we have more than 26,000 if you include the call centers that, that are in India. We have three factories, two in China and one in, in Malaysia, and we recently announced our intention to build a fourth factory uh, in India, and uh, just a couple weeks ago we announced the site of that, which is Chennai. We have three enterprise command centers to support our enterprise customers and, and more than 10,000 Dell certified technicians. Go to the next chart. So always, uh, I always enjoy talking about our share because I get the question all the time about whether the direct model will work in Asia. And it kind of amazes me that we still get that question. 
Uh, it works very well in Asia, and it works in the non-English speaking countries as well as the, the English speaking countries. Uh, so we just have to point to the data and see, see what's happening here. We're growing rapidly in both well-established countries such as Japan and Australia and in emerging countries like China and, and now India. In fact, our share trajectory in all of the key Asian countries is higher than Dell's initial rate of growth in the U.S. after the same number of years. In the top five countries in Asia, which is 85% of the region, we are consistently outgrowing our competitors. We grew at nearly two and a half times the rate of the industry, including Dell, during the most recent quarter. Our combined share in these countries is 12%, which is two and a half times where it was just five years ago. We also continue to diversify from a product standpoint. Over 60% of our revenues are derived from non-desktop computer categories. For example, in the most recent quarter, we recorded enhanced services growth of 44%, software and peripheral growth of 53%, and our storage hardware business grew 34%. And our balanced Pan-Asia presence means we're capable of meeting customers on a truly global scale, which is very consistent with the large global businesses that have been built in both the Americas and, and in EMEA. Go to the next chart. We can see some further evidence of how we stack up against the competition. This chart shows the region's top PCX86 vendors, and Dell's consistently strong presence in the top countries in APJ. We've achieved meaningful share in all the major countries. If you look on this chart, there isn't, there isn't one region where, uh, where Dell was outgrown by the, by the competitors. In fact, we've outgrown Lenovo and HP in every one of them. You can see that our position is number two or number three across most key countries. And we're rapidly growing across, across the region. Where we're not number, number two or three, for example, in India, we only entered that market about five years ago. And our growth rate there has been very strong, as you can see in Q2, 82% unit growth. So you can see that our business is large and diversified with a broad, substantial presence in all of the key countries. So let's focus a little more on some of the, the ones of high interest. Let's talk about China. As Paul said, our, our approach to growing these segments has been consistent with the Dell model everywhere. We initially enter the most profitable segments first and focus on the system needs of enterprises. We establish the infrastructure and process which allows us to best serve our customers in an efficient and low-cost manner. We expand profitability and build our customer relationships by broadening our offering with more products and services. China is a perfect example. We launched there in 1998. We established a self-contained business similar to the direct operations we have established in other regions. We built out this infrastructure and we adopted our approach to the local environment in order to best serve our customers. Today we are the number three PC vendor and one of the ten largest foreign-owned companies in the country and the largest non-domestic supplier to China. We're growing faster than the industry and we're more profitable than our top competitor. But China still remains a substantial opportunity for Dell. The country continues to develop and mature into a very substantial country for technology providers. As you know, China has a population of 1.3 billion people. It's over four times the size of the U.S. And it's now the fourth largest economy in the world, growing at nearly 10%. It means that there's over $40 billion in IT spent in China. We intend to address it by continuing to expand and extending our reach into the additional Chinese cities every quarter. We initially entered in, in Tier 1 cities. Over this past couple of quarters, we've expanded in Tier 2, and now we're moving into Tier 3. We'll now talk about India. It's one of the fastest growing economies and PC segments in the world with 8% GDP last year. We launched, launched direct in India during 2000, but more recently made the country a priority for us. And as you can see from this uh, 06 results, we're uh, getting tremendous success and traction there. We've grown revenues over 40% annually over the last four years. Units were up 82% last quarter, gaining two points of share. And we're now number one in the large corporate segment with 46% share. However, even with our success, we're still not addressing the majority of the available customer base 
which is rupee-based from a currency standpoint rather than dollars. So we're making a significant investment in India. Putting our factory in India will allow us to get at the, at the rest of this market. So our growth strategy in India is very similar to what we did in China. We're building out the infrastructure right now, establishing our brand, and expanding our portfolio. I think you can see in summary that customers are embracing this Dell model around the world. We're investing to fully develop our operations overseas, and we feel confident in our ability to, to, to capture additional growth. We're driving for consistent and balanced growth worldwide with significant opportunities for expansion. And with that, I'd like to turn it over to the operator for Q&A. At this time, I would like to remind everyone, if you would like to ask a question, simply press star ending number one on your telephone keypad. Your first question comes from the line of Richard Gardner with Citigroup. Okay, thank you both uh, for doing the call today. Uh, Paul, I wanted to start uh, with a question regarding a comment you had on slide six of your presentation. Uh, the comment is that uh, you intend to build direct relationships while being flexible to local practices. And I'm wondering what exactly it means to be flexible to local practices. And hopefully maybe you can provide um, a couple of examples that will help us understand exactly what you mean there. Yeah, I mean, our, our um, intention has been to provide as, as many of the uh, benefits of the direct proposition our customers everywhere as we possibly can, right? So that would mean direct relationship with them. It means the built-to-order model. It means, uh, you know, really strong execution around fulfilling their orders, all of those different things. Well, when we have entered um, a lot of uh, uh, markets, some of the ones we talked about, I used the Russian example before, we actually had a presence there, a very small one, years ago so that we could fulfill requirements for uh, global accounts to have them have a presence there. We were kind of reactive. Uh, well, now that in the last, you know, 18 months, two years, something like that, we've started to put more uh, Dell presence in place, we've gone in and um, uh, tried to work with the kinds of partners that actually have uh, really strong relationships in that marketplace. We only have 16 people there, okay? So uh, we're trying to get, uh, you know, that would be double by about middle of next year, but it's a relatively small team. and. Um, we are building the direct relationship part. We are doing the built-to-order part. Um, but we find that we don't have a lot of presence there yet. And so some of the partners we work, worked with historically to um, uh, either fulfill or be service partners uh, to some of the, the global accounts are actually helping us get into a broader uh, set of customer base. And we're just finding you know, building relationships there is kind of a particular thing in Russia, to use that example. It's, uh, a lot of it is about local knowledge. Uh, as we can build up our, um, our operation. But the partners we're working with uh, know and, in fact, have been inviting us to continue to put more Dell presence there to build out more of the, the uh, uh, direct presence. That means more technical people, more account relationship people, et cetera. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you kind of build these things together with them. So the, the flexibility of the local conditions, I think, has been understanding both uh, how much presence we have in the local market at a given time and what's the best way to go about building strong customer relationships that we can hopefully take more and more direct as we build out our, our team there. Well, I guess uh, just to be a little more blunt, uh, the question is, are, are you conceding that there are some markets where you might need more of an indirect presence on a permanent basis in order to, to penetrate the market to the degree that you would like? Or, or is, is this a continuation of the strategy that you've always had, which is use indirect relationships to penetrate early on until you can scale the business directly? Oh, it's, it's the latter for sure. I mean, we have, uh, you know, we, we've just had a kind of um, scope and presence issue, I'll, talk, uh, I'll say. You know, when I got here six years ago, we had one small partner in Russia who was fulfilling a few big global accounts for us. And we had so many opportunities in Western Europe, that's where we concentrated. We had the launch businesses in, in Greece and Finland and a few other markets that were a little more the traditional core. Uh, but we were, were trying to, uh, you know, build a business uh, with relatively small investment in some of the, the countries farther east. It's always been our intention to uh, build these out over time as, as, we're, as we're currently doing. 
Okay, and then just one last follow-up. Uh, Paul, was hoping you could maybe give us a little more color on the reasons for the op margin erosion that we saw in Europe last quarter. Um, I know that on the conference call uh, you talked about it being a, a combination of self-inflicted um, sort of, you know, maybe build-out of, of resources at a time when you saw a sharp slowing in market demand, but um, if you could um, maybe add some color. That'd be great. That, that's basically right. I mean, the uh, the European, including the Western European market, had uh, been surprisingly strong for a couple of years there. You couldn't say it was based on economic fundamentals. We had a, a strong exchange rate. We had uh, you know good pricing in local currency for a couple of years. So we, uh, right through the middle of last year, had a very very strong growth uh, in the marketplace here. We were still gaining share above and beyond that. And we're trying to keep that momentum going right into the first half of this year when the Western European market anyway uh, kind of properly collapsed here. We had basically flat unit growth and declining revenue growth in the marketplace. Um, and we just had bad timing. We had some uh, you know, uh, pricing moves that were based on uh, trying to get much higher volume that was out there to be gotten. So we overcorrected on pricing and it hurt our margins pretty badly. Uh, we've been in the process of correcting that uh, sense to get kind of uh, back in balance, and I think we've uh, got a better handle on where the market's going now and wh where we have to price to make a uh, healthy return. Um, and just, Paul, was it primarily a pricing issue, or was there also an OPEX build-out, and, and do you feel a need to scale back, uh, maybe reverse some of those OPEX investments that you made, or is it simply a matter of just pricing more appropriately given, given in demand in the marketplace? There was some of the OPEX because we, we were expecting a, a you know, bigger revenue number than uh, came in. I think we have a seasonal, you know, we always have the biggest Q4. Uh, that's the biggest volume of the year just on a seasonal basis. I think we can grow out of a fair amount of that. But uh, you're, you're correct that we were, we were heavy on, on OPEX in the second quarter. Okay, thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Tony Sekinaji with Sanford Bernstein. Uh, yes, thank you. I wanted to first follow up on the last question around margin erosion last quarter. Um, I think in your prepared remarks, Paul, you had talked about um, your excitement for the mix shift to ultimately drive margins higher. Now, clearly, even before last quarter, margins were declining over the last two years. So can you reconcile the notion of declining margins over the last couple of years with mix shift? And additionally, related to last quarter, can you, can you help us understand how pricing decisions are ultimately made at Dell? Are they made uh, at a global level? Are they made at a regional level? Are they made at a country level? Um, and uh, just take us through how tactical pricing decisions are made and who's responsible for them. Okay. Um, on the mix shift point, your first question, the, um, the reality is that um, we have uh, um, you know, the much higher margins as the market does in what we call our enterprise business, so the servant storage business, the software that goes with that, the services that go with that. That's continued to be true, and that mix has continued to be shifting. We've been growing the enterprise and services business quite a bit faster in the client business. We have right now so far is the law of large numbers on the client side, that that mix shift um, in enterprise has not been significant, it has not been sufficient to overcome the margin pressure we uh, we took on on the client business, so that's correct. So that, but that doesn't lessen our appetite in any way to keep driving that mix shift. It's strategic business, it's high margin business, we are increasing our capabilities in that area, so we're going to keep doing that. Uh, in terms of the, the, the pricing decisions, you know, there, there's uh, some things we discuss at the global level, there'll be some things we'll do at the EMEA level and other things at local. I mean, broadly speaking, we would tend to set list prices um, at a Panamia level, for instance, so we you know, discuss our overall corporate positioning at a given time. Uh, but so much of our business is with the medium to large commercial space where pricing is all effectively negotiated, so it has to be done very much locally. You're, you're doing bids, you're doing uh, uh, you know, uh, requests for proposal, et cetera, and, and so the final street price has to have a lot of local negotiation before it's done. Given your comments on the local negotiation, how do we reconcile that with such a dramatic decline in operating margins the last quarter? I mean, it would it would it would seem as though, given that 
it wasn't a you know a miscalculation about list prices that affected the market for the entire quarter why were you why were you in, if if the majority of the pricing is actually happening at the you know at the at the local or even at the customer level how could you have such sig significant margin erosion uh, over the course of the quarter and and isn't this more real time and doesn't your your management and business model effectively prevent this from happening we had everybody moving against the same objective, which was, as I said before, going after more revenue than was to be had in the market. We were frankly surprised when the Q2 IDC data came out to see how much share we had actually gained in in Europe, including Western Europe, because the uh, the revenue was slower than we thought, but we were still outgrowing the uh, the competitors. So everybody was going against a uh, a volume target and using whether it was the list pricing aggregate decisions or some of the local negotiated pricing, we're all heading in that same direction. Um, as we've understood where the, the market's really going, we're rebalancing that, and that means at all levels, again. Right, but, but Paul, wouldn't, I mean, aside from market volumes, wouldn't you have known eight weeks into the quarter that your profitability on units that had been sold, which has nothing to do with the market, was going to be egregiously lower than it had been in the prior quarter. And and also at that point, let's say eight weeks into the quarter, wouldn't there have been a notion that despite a major, major um, deceleration in profitability, uh, unit growth was was looking was looking weaker? And we absolutely saw all of that. And the correction uh, actions which have taken place into Q3 began in the middle of the quarter. Some of these things took a while to actually get turned around. But absolutely, that, that was evident. And then finally, on a separate topic, you, you had mentioned that you had felt that some of the customer service initiatives and actions um, that had taken place had begun to yield improvement. Um, what do you base that statement on? I mean, again, clearly the the deceleration in both profitability and revenue um, doesn't necessarily support uh, the belief that, you know, that doesn't necessarily correlate with customer service being better or worse. So uh, how, how do you gain confidence that the customer service is indeed improving? Yeah, it's not from the financial metrics. We have uh, some, a pretty exhaustive set of uh, customer experience metrics. The ones we take the most seriously are the uh, customer satisfaction surveys that we give out to customers. And I think the last year or so, we've done something like 600,000 of those around the world. So we get a lot of that feedback from tech support, customer care, sales, all the different touch points that uh, we have with customers. And as I mentioned uh, before, in uh, Asia and EMEA, the two regions we're talking about in, in any detail today, uh, we've seen the investments we've put there continue to pay off because those results have continued to improve. Okay, thank you, Paul and Steve, for doing the call. Sure. sure. Our next question is from the line of Louis Misiosha with Cowan and Company. Okay, thank you. Maybe you could give us a comment on just the European trends. You obviously talked about how the uh, environment there obviously impacted you the last couple of quarters from a negative aspect. Have things uh, just stabilized from a macro standpoint or maybe starting to turn? No, it's really hard to tell. I, I would say. Um, the um, the corporate commercial market is looking pretty steady now. It's it slowed down, like I said, it's uh, you know kind of flat. In some markets, it's actually been shrinking. No, I wouldn't say I've seen any signs of turning there yet. Um, we get some weak signs that uh, the consumer business may do a little bit better, just since uh, uh, just things like you know volumes that you, we we saw in the kind of back to school. It's this weak signal. You know, I think we're going to all have to see how the data really comes in at the uh, end of the quarter. So I can't call any macro turning, but uh, maybe a little bit of uh, a little bit of recovery on the consumer side. Okay, and uh, sort of on the same topic, uh, Dell before has used a chart that has uh, basically the I guess flags of many di different countries that, that you. Uh, Dell into and how Dell over time increases its share, obviously up to the U.S. at, at, at the highest level. But uh, on that same chart, if hopefully I'm uh, explaining it well enough for you to understand which one it is, th there are definitely a number of periods of time where, where let's say, uh, business, whether it's with Switzerland or Germany or France, has definitely flattened out for a period of time and Dell stops gaining share. Do you think that 
uh, in the aggregate, and I guess uh, in you know, Western and Eastern Europe, you've uh, hit inflection points where it's now starting to uh, significantly come back up? Yeah, generally. I mean, we, to be honest with you, as we build out this business, we've had plenty of uh, episodes where you know, we didn't have right, the, the lo local management team we needed. We weren't uh, getting the execution we needed. I mean, we, uh, we do have local teams in each one of these organizations. We worked very hard on uh, driving consistency of that performance over the last three or four years and have generally gotten that. So Germany was one that, frankly, stalled out for us in the 90s for a while. And um, lately, though, especially the last couple of years, it's uh, been going quite well for us. And you've seen us put big investments there. We opened up German language sites in Bratislava in Pala uh, in eastern Germany. And even in Q2, where we, our, our German business didn't grow very much, we had a 19% growth premium over the market because the market itself was so weak. Um, so I think generally we are getting that consistency. Just you know, teams and even some of these smaller markets like Switzerland that you mentioned are uh, you know gaining the experience and kind of learning how to operate the the business. But I will tell you that's a constant challenge to continue to work on driving even greater consistency. Okay, thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Brian Alexander with Raymond James. Uh, thanks. It seems like if, if I were to compare some of your developed markets like the U.S., your large corporate share has generally been in the mid-40%, uh, but SMB has been closer to 30%. And if I compare that to what we're looking at today, it looks like your large corporate share is also above 40% in some of these regions, yet your overall share position is much lower than it is in the U.S. So I guess the question is, going forward, should we think about the incremental share gains uh, in these international markets to primarily come from SMB, or do you think that there's still a lot of opportunity in large corporate? Uh, this is Steve. I think you're going to see a combination of both. Uh, clearly, uh, for example, in Asia, we have a much smaller um, consumer and small business share of our revenue, so you'll see a lot of growth coming from that side of the business. But if you go on a country-by-country -country basis, we still have a lot to be gained in, um, in the corporate space. So um, if you go to China, for example, we have a very good share in the Tier 1 cities in the large corporate, but we have a relatively low share in Tier 2 and Tier 3. So I think you'll see balanced growth come out of China in, in large corporate as well as, um, as well as the home and small business. Uh, even in Japan, uh, we still have a lot of opportunity uh, our notebook share has been relatively low there because there's so many competitors, but it's been, uh, it's been increasing at a, at a pretty healthy rate. So we'll see that in a large corporate move up. So I know for, for Asia, and I suspect for me as well, you'll, you'll see some balance in that growth. Um, still share to be had in a large corporate, but an increasing uh, amount of revenue coming from the home and small business. And, and just a quick follow-up, is there any way to help us think about how much of your corporate share uh, in some of these emerging markets, you know, China, India, et cetera, are coming from multinational corporations that have global relationships with Dell and those purchasing contracts extend across boundaries versus uh, how you're doing with some of the more, you know, local or indigenous uh, large corporate entities? For Asia, it is largely from local business. We, we have a, it's, we have a, a nice, healthy um, carryover effect from what's happening in, in the Americas, but as a percentage of our total revenues, it's relatively small. It's, I don't know the exact percentage, but, but uh, it's probably barely 10%. So most of the revenue is coming from the, from the local business. In India, uh, while it's local, a lot of it is done in U.S. currency, so you'll see a lot of multinational revenue coming from India but it's still not from the Dell global relationships as much as our local presence. Okay, thank you very much. Our next question comes from the line of Ben Reitzes with UBS. Yeah, thanks. Uh, uh, Paul, you seem to imply that the margin issues in Europe have been identified and, and can now get better. I just want to make sure that I, that I heard you right, that that pricing uh, now is uh, getting better, at least that you guys have figured out what you've done uh, with regard to pricing and that, uh, you know, perhaps margins bottom last quarter. 
Yeah, I think we uh, we got a handle on on where the real uh, volume trajectory is in the market and uh, kind of what we could afford or what how price elasticity would really work in this market. It's a pretty big adjustment, but uh, I think we've understood that, and I think we need we know, we know what we need to do to continue to improve the margin. Got it. And then the the, the primary factor though is your pricing and and just your configurations and and it and that that to confirm that, that's the primary issue. That's correct. And then with regard to Asia last quarter, it wasn't like what happened in Europe, but margin did go down a few points sequentially. <coughs> Is there anything you'd like to highlight as to, to why margins there went down, and then are there any comparable issues that are being looked at that um, perhaps um, are, are still in flux or have been identified and now can get better? Anything you'd like to highlight on the, on the Asia PAC side? Well, we, we have a, a mix issue that I would talk about from a country standpoint. So, uh, you know, our two most mature markets uh, are Japan and Australia, and, and we've been there for, for a long time. And so uh, we have the model fully rolled out in those, in those two countries, and so they're more profitable. Well, if you look at the, the economic situation in, in Asia, uh, Japan and Australia have, uh, uh, in technology, very low and in some cases negative growth rates. So there's a mix issue happening where India and China are, the, are uh, growing rapidly and because they're in their emerging market stage with us, while profitable, they're not as profitable as, as Japan and Australia. So until the uh, Japan and Australia economies strengthen and we see those markets uh, improve, will continue to grow a lot faster in the, in the other businesses, and so it, um, it puts a little more challenge on, on the margins. Just o overall, uh, so it so sounds like that's an ongoing thing you'll have to uh, deal with. Uh, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but my, my follow-up, and, and then I'm done, is just with regard to manufacturing in Asia-Pac, um, you guys do bare bones, uh, notebook assembly. I mean, is there any, is there any need to re-examine what you're doing there in order to enhance margins, or do you think you're, you're going about the assembly and, and the whole manufacturing process the right way still? Well, the transformation cost for uh, notebook computers in Penang, Malaysia is, is outstanding, so it's really hard to beat. And the fact that we have uh, a logistics model that still, still allows us to meet our customer requirements in, in the same time frame as we had when we had notebooks being manufactured locally, uh, you know, we still feel comfortable that it's the best overall value for our customers. The quality is great out of the factory, and, and um, we have terrific um, negotiations with, uh, with the airlines in order to be able to deliver the products on time. So uh, for notebooks, I think having a central point still makes a lot of sense. For the rest of the products, you know, we continue to believe that being close to the customer uh, is, is absolutely the right requirement. So we're going to continue to have our factories uh, in the geographies where we can meet the delivery times. And again, the transformation costs have come down so much that the, the large majority of the costs in, in the manufacturing process is in logistics, not in labor. So it's, it's really important for us to, to be close to the customer for, um, um, for the notebooks, I mean for the desktops and for the, for the servers. Okay, thanks a lot, guys. Your next question comes from the line of Richard Farmer with Merrill Lynch. Yeah, thank you. I uh, just wanted to ask a high-level question on how your strategy uh, really differs in the consumer space and international markets, particularly India-China uh, versus corporate. You know, it's, it's fairly natural, I think, for many of us to understand uh, how the direct model fits in corporate with the large multinationals in, in places like India and China. Uh, but in the emerging market consumer space where uh, you have these families that are in these emerging middle-class manufacturing economies, buying PCs for the first time in many cases, it's not as obvious how you're capturing that part of the growth in these markets, given that those tend to be indirect sales. So I just wonder if you could comment broadly on uh, the timing and, and how you plan to uh, try to capture that part of the growth in the market, and if that uh, involves any greater level of experimentation with an indirect distribution to consumers specifically. Thanks. Well, I would say for the most part we're doing it the same way we, we do it everywhere else. And, and um, you know, the way we enter these markets by focusing on the profit pools 
allows us to enter the market and, and still hit the, uh, the initial customer base that we're primarily focused on. So as we get bigger and bigger, we can start to branch out into those, those new first-time buyers uh, that really want to spend a lot less on their initial technology. Our, our initial play when we enter these markets is to focus more on the experienced buyer uh, and someone that's buying a, a richer configuration. And so we're, we're using the same online tools and um, Marcom and telephone-based procedures that we use in the U.S. Uh, to get at these customers. Um, you know, we want to do this the right way for the long term. So, you know, you could try indirect channels as a way to accelerate, but then we don't feel like we're going to get the right level of service experience with the customer and that we're going to personalize the relationship. And, that's, and we believe that that's been a, a hallmark of our success around the world. So we're going to be more patient with that uh, and roll it out. There's, there's one, you know, some exceptions, uh, like in Japan, for example, where uh, you've seen some discussion about Dell having um, some, some square footage presence in the U.S. on a pilot basis. We actually started that in Japan um, several years ago, and we have about 50 sites in Japan where, uh, where we did feel like customers needed to touch the product. Uh, and, and so we don't, we don't sell product there from, from um, inventory stock. We still use the direct model and build-to-order model to source it, but we have more physical presence. So we are trialing things like that, um, but we still want to stick with the, the basic uh, model principles, and it's been working very well. Our consumer growth over the past couple of quarters has been very healthy using, using the online tools and the direct sales approach. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Katie Huberty with Morgan Stanley. Hi, thanks, guys. Just want to follow up on uh, the manufacturing strategy. Can you just go into more detail on what the cost and cash flow benefits are of building out manufacturing facilities in local regions like India, Poland, and Brazil? And if you look at your history, how many years does it typically take for you to reach a meaningful operating profit post those initial investments? Well, in terms of the, the, the kind of financial case for one of these uh, factories, um, um, so, some of it is labor cost, of course. I mean, you you, uh, uh, you do you know arbitrage that a little bit when you're looking at different sites that could be shipping into the same country. So that's one thing we look at. Um, but there's one that's hard to quantify, which is a very very important part of our decision making, which is around the customer experience. So I'll take the Polish plant, which we've just decided to uh, open uh, this year, and it'll be uh, shipping product in about a year from now. Um, yes, there's a financial case, but probably even more important was in these newer markets for Dell and Central and Eastern Europe where we want to gain share. Uh, it just frankly, frankly takes longer to get products shipped to them from the west coast of Ireland. You know, we have very high velocity shipments in northwestern Europe, and uh, customers are waiting longer in the eastern part of our territory. You know, it's a little harder to put exactly into an ROI model, but we we just you know, believe very strongly if we do the right things for customers, we make it easy to work with Dell, and they're going to get a uh, high-quality product built to their specification, delivered faster. That's a that's a good investment to make. So, big big part of the, the local presence is is around uh, that customer experience approach as opposed to merely the financials. In the case of India, we we feel like we can take about a third of the time out in the in the delivery time. So the customer experience will definitely be better. But also in the case of India, there, there was um, uh, a, definitely a financial impact in getting at local currency business because there was a pretty substantial excise duty that's paid if you imported product into India. If you manufacture in India, you're able to avoid a pretty substantial tax and, and be a lot more competitive. So, um, so there's delivery uh, benefits and there's also some pretty substantial uh, tax, tax benefits. Great. Thanks, guys. Your final question comes from the line of Brent Braceland with Pacific Crest Securities. Uh, thank you. Uh, most of my uh, questions have been uh, asked and answered, but um, could you provide us with the specific metrics that consumer uh, represents in EMEA uh, and APJ? I believe in the in the Americas it's 20, 22% of the mix, uh, and then I had one follow-up. 
It's about the mid-teens right now, in uh, low to mid-teens, I guess, in, uh, in EMEA. Yeah, and it's, it's even less than that in, in APJ for consumer. Great. And then, Steve, you talked a little bit about um, uh, branching out into the first-time kind of buyers and going after um, those, um, you know, specifically in the merging markets. Um, historically, I think Dell model is targeted um, not the uh, the first-time buyer. And in fact, in the past, you guys have talked about that that really wasn't the target market. Um, what specifically are you you doing to to branch out there? You know, beyond just the the retail kind of you know stores that you have in Japan. And then, could you tell us a little bit about the success that you've seen so far in those 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 sites in Japan and and what you've learned from those sites? Yeah, let me first make sure I clarify uh, my first answer because we're <coughs> what I was saying was our heavy emphasis is on the more sophisticated buyer that's, uh, you know, making multiple purchases, and then we will focus on branching out. So we haven't really done a lot of branching out at this point uh, because we're still getting plenty of growth out of the, the experienced buyer. Um, in, the case of, in the case of Japan, uh, we think it's had a good brand effect, uh, and it's certainly been uh, profitable, and we've been getting some growth, but it is actually a very small portion of our sales. We still get the large majority of the sales coming from online and, and, and the phone. So we feel like the, uh, the site presence just allows us to get to some customers that feel like they have to touch the product. We've, we justify it from a profitability standpoint. I think if we were losing money at it, we just wouldn't do it. Uh, so it's profitable, but it's not having a substantial impact on, on, the, um, on the revenue growth of the business. Are you evaluating anything else that potentially could have, you know, more meaningful impact on the growth? In Japan? Uh, in all emerging markets? Yeah, I think in the emerging markets we're, we're clearly looking at um, some wide geography-based strategies, you know, how to get to some of these customers that, that might be a little tougher to get to. But, uh, but as I said earlier, you know, it's really uh, peripheral to the key strategy because there's so much growth to be had in the major markets that uh, we want to do this in a balanced way. If, if we try to go too far flung, I think it will get away from the model. We like the fact that we're profitable in all the countries in, in Asia, and we'd like to grow it out that way as opposed to just trying to grab growth for the sake of growth. Fair enough. Thank you so much. I want to thank everyone for calling into our conference call today, and I'd like to turn the call back over to the operator. This concludes today's conference call. We appreciate your participation. You may disconnect at this time.